Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Creative Kindergarten Podcast. My name is Amanda, and I'm an early childhood educator in Ontario, Canada. I have been working in a full-day kindergarten classroom for the past six years. So this podcast is just a space for me to share some of my experience, some share some of my ideas and knowledge around the kindergarten space. And so if you're just joining me for the first time, full-day kindergarten in Ontario I think it runs a little differently from a lot of the rest of the places in the world that have kindergarten. So it's a two-year program. You can enter the program as young as 3.8 years old. So you have to be turning four before December 31st. And then you can go for, and then you go for two years in the kindergarten program. So you can leave um, at six years old. So we have a lot of um, a big variety of age groups in the room. And it's a two-year program and it's a completely play-based program in Ontario. So that's just a little background for you in case you don't know what kindergarten is like in Ontario because today I want to be talking to you about something that I love to have in our kindergarten classroom and that is sensory bins. Um, Making sensory bins, I was just telling my friend today, I love making sensory bins. I love putting them together, finding new materials, finding new ways to use a sensory bin in the classroom. I love having a sensory bin. So this podcast episode is going to be all about how I've used it, what I've used for it, the learning that can be incorporated into a sensory bin. So stay tuned for all of that. But before I get started with this episode, I just wanted to say thank you to all the people that reached out to me to let me know last week how much um, that podcast episode inspired them to do small groups with their students. I was so happy to get all of your messages. I really appreciated it. It made my day when I heard that somebody tried small groups for the first time because they had listened to my um, podcast and felt inspired to do it. So thank you to everybody who reached out to me. Um, Your messages were so nice and um, last week was just a hard week all around. It was so cold and gray and just not nice weather happening here in Ontario so getting that those messages really um, made me smile and made me start my day off on the right foot so thank you to everybody that reached out I loved hearing all of your suggestions I wrote all of them down for future episode podcasts um, future podcast episodes and yeah stay tuned for more Um, of those ideas coming to you soon. If you have any ideas or want to talk to me about sensory bins in your classroom or want to continue the conversation with me, I love hearing back from you. I'm sitting in my office in my house talking to myself most of the time. So really having you guys reach out to me and talk to me about your experiences in the classroom are really important to me because I really love continuing that conversation outside of the podcast. Um, I have my experiences that I've had in my classroom, but there is a whole range of things that happen in kindergarten and things can be so different even from one city to the next, from one school to the next, never mind thinking about all the different countries and provinces that you could be teaching in. I love hearing about other people's experiences. So the best way to reach me for me, reach out to me is through Instagram and you can find me on Instagram. I'll put the, um, my tag in the the show notes for you because it is long. It's creative kindergarten blog on TPT, but I think if you just start typing in creative kindergarten, you should be able to find me. If you're not on Instagram, I'm also on Facebook or I have my blog creative kindergarten blog.com and there's a contact me button there that you can just send me an email and I'd love to get to know you and to learn more about how you use sensory bins in your classroom if that's something you'd like to reach out to me or if you'd like to talk about a different topic go for it I'd love to hear from you but now that I've made a really long introduction to this episode let's get started talking all about sensory bins in kindergarten (laughs) 
start off with, I just wanted to talk a little bit about why I think having a sensory bin in your classroom is so important. Um, when I think of a sensory bin, first of all, I just think of usually it's like a bigger bin that students can stand around and they can uh, interact with the materials that's inside the bin. Usually I have one that is on wheels and students can stand around it. I usually have two students because I've only had one that is pretty small so we could not have more than two students standing around it. But I've seen some really large ones where you could have more students stand around it. I've seen ones that are low to the ground that students can sit around. Um, my first year or my second year in kindergarten, I can't remember which year, but we went, I had a classroom that didn't have a sensory bin included in it. There was like a sandbox, but we didn't want to take out the sand because it was kind of um, yucky to take out the sand and then put different other materials in it. It would have taken a long time to clean. So what I did was I bought a really big bin at Walmart, like one of those clear bins. I think it was the one that can fit underneath your table. And we put that on one of our counters, one of our lower counters that the students could reach. And we just used that for our sensory bin for our, uh, for my year in that classroom. So if you don't have one of those big, nice bins that you see on like Instagram and Pinterest, you can still just use any bin that you have. It really just needs to be something that has high enough walls that things won't spill out of constantly so that the materials will stay in it. But really any bin will be good enough. If you don't have a space in your classroom to just have a whole dedicated space to, sens uh, to a big sensory bin. Instead, you can have like these little individual sensory bins. So you would have enough materials for one student in a smaller, one of those smaller clear plastic containers. And then you could have them set at a table. So if you have a table of six, maybe you have six little sensory bins that you have the materials in and that you can take out and put out when you need it. There are a lot of different ways to, to make sure you have a sensory bin in your classroom. Figure out maybe the one that works best for your space and for your students. And if it's not a big bin that students can stand around, just find something that's an alternate alternate space for you to have those that sensory experience. Because I do think it is important to provide a lot of choices to our students on how they're learning and to give them these alternative learning spaces that they can learn these essential skills that they're, they're using in kindergarten and throughout their school career, we need to give them a lot of places to do that and to play and to learn those social skills that they need. So when I'm talking about a sensory bin, I'm not even talking about the literacy and math. We'll get to that later. But just the social aspect of playing and talking to your friends and taking turns and sharing the materials and playing in the sensory bin, they, they're learning so many skills when they're doing that. Also, sensory bins are fun. Our kids loved, loved, loved coming into the classroom. I changed it out usually every Friday, unless it was something that they really liked and we continued it for two weeks. But usually every week on Monday, they would come in and there'd be a new sensory bin. And every week on a Monday, Monday morning, they would run to the sensory bin to try to see what was added into, uh, into it for that week. They loved um, playing in it. They had so much fun. So really a sensory bin, is just a really great way to engage students in their learning that is really just fun for them and is play for them because that's the way our students learn best when they're three, four, or five years old. Another question that I know I get asked a lot is when are they allowed to play in the sensory bin and how do you set up your sensory bin for them to play with? So the when is, it's an open-ended center. Usually um, students can pick to go there. Whenever they want throughout the day, they get to... Um, there's not really any time limit that I would set 
unless they're there the whole entire morning. This is always a question that I get asked. And this is for like any center, for your block center, dramatic play, whatever center I'm talking about, I always get asked the same question is, what if this child doesn't want to leave that center? They'll spend all day playing with blocks. And so I would say, yeah, there's a really big value in playing with blocks. But if we want to have them have more experiences, we can put a time limit on how much time they spent at a certain center. Same thing with the sensory bin. So if there's only two students allowed at the sensory bin, I would tell them they have to take turns anyways. You can't stay there the whole time because there's going to be other students that want to have their turn there. So usually I would keep an eye on it and if I notice that they've been there for a long time or another student wants to go there, I'll never tell them they have to clean up right away unless there's a really specific reason for it. Like we have to go to an assembly or something. But usually I'll tell them, okay, I'm going to give you five more minutes and then we're going to let so-and-so have a turn. And I've never usually had a student that had a problem with that. It's not like they've only been playing there for two minutes and now I'm telling them they have to stop. They've, they, I give them an extended amount of time and then I'll give them a five minute warning. And usually I say, okay, your five minutes are up. They'll switch. Sometimes they'll switch even before that because they get so used to self-regulating and to letting other kids have a turn because we've let them have those experiences and they're learning how to share and um, occupy a space with like 30 other students. Sometimes I don't even have to tell them. Sometimes I'm like, oh, so-and-so wants a turn and then they'll just get up and leave and they'll give somebody else a turn. It's something that throughout the year we're constantly teaching and we're constantly um, reinforcing with our students. So it's not something that's brand new to them when they're asked to change out of the sensory bin. In September, of course it is harder because they're brand new, especially our year one students who have maybe never had to share a space with another child. So making sure you're taking that as a teachable moment and talking to them about the other child's point of view, how the other child wants to play, have those conversations, have those discussions, build that empathy, build that turn-taking, build that sharing aspect. And soon enough, you won't even have to regulate that at all. Usually students just learn to go and say, hey, could I have a turn at the sensory bin? And then they'll just switch by themselves. Does this work all the time? No, of course not. Is there sometimes where I have to go and have conversations and help regulate a child? Of course, that's part of being in kindergarten. It's not always going to work out 100% of the time. But letting them have that um, capacity to regulate themselves and have that built into the day and built into the program is so important. So for the sensory bin, for your block center, for whatever it is, I know there's always going to be that one student that does or multiple students that doesn't want to leave a certain center and you want them to have different experiences in the classroom. Well, help them build that capacity, help build their self-regulation skills. Our students knew by the time that they finished the first year of kindergarten, they knew what self-regulate means. They knew that they needed to self-regulate through our centers throughout the day. We never told them most of the time how much time to spend at a certain center unless we knew that we had to get something done that day, like like again, an assembly or we had to go to library or something. Then we had a set time limit on our day. But other than that, students can just pick where they wanted to go, spend as much time as they needed and move on. And that was a taught skill. That's not something that just magically happens in September. Um, other things that you want to make sure that you're doing if you're starting out with a sensory bin is setting up those expectations, right? Because some of the materials that you could be putting in a sensory bin can get messy. So we have clear expectations and clear rules surrounding the sensory bin. 
Does that mean that they're always followed? No, but that again is another opportunity to go in and have a teachable moment. So if we have, let's say, a messy um, sensory bin filler, like uh, what can I think of? Um, chickpeas, dried chickpeas that usually end up all over the floor sometimes if they're playing in it and it just something gets spilled over and then there's chickpeas on the floor. Well, there was a very clear rule that if something falls on the floor, you have to clean it up. So if they were playing and things fell on the floor, I heard it fall, I would look up, see if they were cleaning up. Most often they were. If not, a gentle reminder of, oh, you need to pick it up and it fell on the floor was really all that mattered. But we made sure that we taught those rules to the students and we just didn't let them throw things around and just leave a mess when they were finished with the sensory bin. So making sure you have those clear expectations and you have things set up so that if there is a mess that they can clean it up. So if it's uh, chickpeas are usually big enough for them to pick up, if it's the sand or if it's um, anything that's a little bit smaller, we would have a little um, dustpan and a little broom for them to be able to sweep and put things back in the sensory bin or throw it out depending if it was... um, Uh, good enough like if it was like sand we didn't necessarily want to put it back in if it was near the um the cubby area our sandbox was near the cubby area and then it would get picked up like if it was like muddy boots or something sometimes things would go in the garbage but our students got to know when to put it back in the sensory bin or when to put in the garbage if it's water in your sensory bin then make sure you have some towels for them to clean up the water spills with because yes, there is going to get be a little bit of mess associated with the sensory bin and that's okay. Kindergarten is messy. I always said that if they are getting messy, that just means that they're learning, right? So having those tools available to students to be able to clean up their messes is also very important. So making sure that we're setting up those expectations, being very clear with those expectations and reinforcing those expectations as needed, right? So in September, you're going to need to talk to them a lot about how to use a sensory bin. Maybe by December, they're doing fantastic. Then in January, you're going to come back and you know, they've had a two week uh, winter break they're coming back, maybe we need to review the rules again. So just making sure that you're reviewing the rules as needed. Just because you taught the rule one time in September doesn't mean that, you know, it's stuck to them and that they remember all those rules. Now that I've talked a little bit about the when and how of the sensory bin, I want to just talk a little bit about the materials that we put in the sensory bin. I know that After a while, I kind of get into a rut of what do I keep putting on the sensory bin? Again, I change it out every week. So coming up with new ideas every week can sometimes feel daunting. And especially last year, I had to kind of rethink the materials in the sensory bin. I was all about what am I going to put in there that's brand new to them? And then I started rethinking about what material, what combination of materials can I put in there to make it new for them? So instead of having to just put in new materials all the time, like what other materials can I put in together to make it new? So at the beginning of the year, a great one um, that you can put in is just straws and connectors. It's so easy. You just dump a bunch of straws and connectors into the sensory bin and the kids went bananas for it. I thought it was the simplest thing, but it just taking straws and connectors that were usually in the building center and putting them into the, um, the sensory bin changed it for them and students that don't usually play with straws and connectors were all of a sudden loving the straws and connectors so taking a material from a space in a different part of the classroom and putting it into the sensory bin can really change how students see that material it was fantastic another one that i love and is really simple to do is water 
So if you have a marble run, that's like the tubes that you can connect together and then you put a marble and it does all kinds of stuff through and it goes through the tubing. Well, put some marble run um, um, things in there uh, with water. I also put pom-poms in the water. Our students loved that. We I had some like sieves and some colanders and some scoops and all kinds of things and I just put pom-poms and water and our kids loved it they went bananas add some ice to the sensory bin so we would do um, some ice and then some polar animals and our kids love that so just having water in the sensory bin can be so much fun I would just make sure that you're changing out the water at least daily because of all the little germs in their little fingers can you know it can get a little gross so yeah, making it really simple, thinking about other things you can add in with the water, thinking about um, items that you can bring from other parts of the classroom into your sensory bin can just be a really fun way to um, make our materials more engaging without having to come up with a whole new set of materials to put in your sensory bin. One of the things that I really love about a sensory bin is that you can add a math or literacy skill into the sensory bin and the students are still playing, but they're getting some great knowledge and they're building their capacity with math and literacy skills at the same time. Um, they love when I put any kinds of cards in the sensory bin and they have to dig through the materials to find all the cards to fill out some kind of recording sheet. So I've done this before with cards and like 10 frames on them and they have to find all the numbers one to 10 and then record them on a, on a, on a sheet. You can even put whiteboard and whiteboards and whiteboard markers there instead of a piece of paper. And so that they're digging through and they're finding numbers. You can put magnetic letters, magnetic numbers. I've put, um, there's these like man uh, manipulatives called alpha pops where it's, um, popsicles and each stick of the popsicle has a different letter. Um, not a different letter. One has an uppercase, one has a lowercase letter, and then you match them up and they make a popsicle. Um, I've put those in there. I've had acorn uh, letters where it's uh, an acorn bottom and an acorn top and together it's the uppercase and lowercase letter. I have put those in there. I have some building stacking letters. So whenever you can add one of those literacy or math manipulatives in there can make the, the sensory bin uh, engaging, fun, but they're also learning at the same time. Those are can be great. You can also put in other things like scoops for measuring. So um, measuring spoons can be added. You can put any kind of measuring tool so that students can be measuring. You can add things like lacing numbers and some um, shoelaces so they can be lacing. There's so many things that you can add to your sensory bin to work on whatever math skill you want to reinforce in your classroom. So that just thinking about the sensory bin as an extension of the learning that's already taking place in your room and then just adding an engaging and fun experience to it by putting that sensory item into that bin. We can also look at our students' wonders and inquiries when we're creating our sensory bin. Our students one year were obsessed, obsessed with the difference between an alligator and a crocodile. And so we made an alligator crocodile habitat and we found an alligator and we found a crocodile toy that we could put in there. And so they were creating and learning about alligators and crocodiles in the sensory bin at the same time. So you can extend that learning way into um, way past just having it in your classroom into the sensory bin itself. You can add different materials. So the students are exploring materials in there. Um, when we were learning about our five senses and our students were really 
um, looking at different materials in our classroom to look th uh, look through the lens of our five senses, I just put plain rice in our sensory bin and added some herbs. So I found some herbs um, in my garden and at the grocery store and I just added like sticks of basil or sticks of thyme and rosemary and I added those into the sensory bin and our students loved it because they could pick through and find the different herbs that there were in the bin and then smell them and they were touching them. We, we made sure we told them not to eat them because, you know, after we've touched them a few times, we don't want to be sharing our germs, but they could smell them and they were talking about what different herbs smell like and they were able to manipulate them. So really just extending that learning again, that's happening in your classroom, just extending it into your sensory bin can be such an important way to build that capacity with our students. The last thing I wanted to talk about, and this is always one that I see brought up, is what materials can we use in our sensory bin? I already talked a little bit about um, using different materials in our classroom and bringing them to the, to the sensory bin to keep it simple. That's a fantastic way to uh, build materials for your sensory bin. I am always looking for other sensory bin fillers that I can add in to give different experiences to our students with different materials. So um, a lot of the time I'm looking for different dried pastas that I can dye, different dried beans that I could dye. Um, but knowing that there are communities that deal with food insecurities, if you are in a, an under-resourced community, if your school is in an under-resourced community where families might not have enough food for their to feed their families that might not be an appropriate filler for your sensory bin. I really want you to be mindful that if students are ha or families are having a hard time um, putting food on the table, having food to play with can be a very confusing thing for students. So being mindful of the community you're in. So if that is um, something that concerns you and concerns the students in your classroom, finding non-food sensory bin fillers is really important. Um, shredded paper is always great. And I don't even mean the shredded paper that you can buy at the dollar store, which is also a great idea. But going to your school shredder, and I used to do this all the time. I used to just go bring my sensory bin. I would roll it down to the school shredder and I would just fill the sensory bin, not completely, but I would fill the sensory bin with some um, shredded paper. And our kids loved it. I did that a couple times last year because it's such an easy filler and it cost me nothing. It's literally the paper that people are shredding. And I would just put it in there and when we were done, I would put it back into the, the shredder. Finding things like that that are um, alternatives to food is really important. I have used in the past <clears throat> leaves from outside. You know how they're always bringing in leaves in the fall, especially well, if you guess if you live in Canada. I don't. If you live in a space in a place that the the leaves don't fall from the trees, you might not be able to do this. But bringing in leaves from outside students love collecting leaves we'll just have a leaf collecting station at the sensory bin and students can sort them count them talk about their different properties compare them all that kind of things that can happen rocks are another great sensory bin filler just make sure that you're not lifting the sensory bin after you've filled it with rocks i've done a rock garden in there with some fake flowers and some rocks and some gardening little gardening tools i found at the dollar store there's lots of different ways that you can find sensory bin fillers that are inexpensive but don't have food. Um, I like using food because it is inexpensive and it can be, um, a lot of it can be dyed different colors. Like I just dyed chickpeas using watercolor paint and it was so easy and 
I just um, can dye it different colors to be used at different times of the season. Same thing with pasta. It's so easy to dye in rice. The thing is with that, I don't throw it away after I'm done. I don't, I don't only use the food sensory bin fillers one time and then throw it out. I pack it up into plastic bags after we're done and I put them into a cupboard so that they can be reused because especially if you're using food, you don't want to be just throwing out food after only using it for one time. I just pack it all up and then I have it all in our closet and so whenever I'm looking for a new sensory bin idea, I can just open that closet and I have all these bags of different sensory bin fillers that I can, that I can take and just put into the sensory bin. I'm just thinking of cotton balls are another great sensory bin filler that are inexpensive and are non-food. I'm going to keep re-remembering other non-food sensory bin fillers for the rest of the day. Um, yeah, so really thinking about your sensory bin as an extension of your learning space and what materials you can add to it to make that learning fun and engaging for your students is so important. I love making sensory bins. It was one of those times that I could get really creative and really think about what I was putting in the, into there and the combinations I could do and the materials that I was putting in that to extend the learning. Getting input from students was always fantastic. I would sometimes just ask them like, what do you want in the sensory bin for next week? And then they would tell me and they would give me some great ideas for putting it in there. Now they're engaged even more in their learning because they took part in it. So if you don't have a sensory bin in your classroom, um, try to think of ways that you can incorporate that kind of play into your room. If you have any more questions about a sensory bin, make sure you're reaching out to me. Again, Instagram, Facebook, my blog, I'll have links in the show notes for you to find me. I'd love to hear your experiences with the sensory bin. Maybe your experiences haven't been as positive as mine. I'd love to hear from you. Know what your favorite fillers are. And I think I'm going to be doing a whole series on non food sensory bin fillers because I know that's a big conversation that's been happening recently from teachers in under-resourced communities about what they can put in their sensory bin that's not food and really coming up with some different and fun things that I can um, come up with to put into the sensory bin. So make sure you're following me on Instagram because I think I'm going to try to put that together in the next couple of months so that we can have a whole list of items that we can use. And yeah, if you have any great ideas, make sure you pass them on to me because I'd love to hear them and include them in the series. And if you have any other questions, make sure you reach out. And if you have any ideas for any future podcast episodes, I'd love to hear from you as well. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me this week. I could probably talk about sensory bins all day. I really do love them. And maybe this will be, um, maybe there'll be another podcast episode in the future talking about more ways that you can use the sensory bin, more ideas. But if you are looking for more ideas for your sensory bin, I do have a blog post and it's just called how to use sensory bins in kindergarten. And I'll put that link in the show notes for you as well. So I hope you guys are having a great week. The sun is finally shining here in Ontario. I'm sitting at my window and it feels so much better to finally see the sun. I, I know it's only February, but I can almost feel like spring might be coming soon. And it makes me very happy and excited for the change of weather because I'm really over winter at this point. I'm really excited to be able to go outside and feel warm and sunshine. So yeah, hopefully you all have a great week and this weather stays nice for us. And yeah, I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.